Well, goodbye. <laughs> Actually, this is not my goodbye, but rather a, a famous goodbye of the Bible. I guess if you had, um, if it were Jeopardy, you know, it'd say famous goodbyes of the Bible, and this one might be for 100 or something. Because I think the, probably the first goodbye that everybody would think of was the time that Jesus uh, stood there with his disciples and he ascended into heaven. And that had to be, you know, that had to be an incredible goodbye. But beyond that one, this is one that comes to mind pretty quickly and fits with our study uh, this morning in looking at the, the book of Acts. And it's, it's a look at the Apostle Paul and as he says goodbye to uh, the elders there at Ephesus. And he's not going to meet with them at Ephesus as you'll see in a minute. But let's just go to the end. So this is before he gets on the boat. And I want you to notice that they wept. They wept freely. So there was a great deal of emotion involved in this goodbye. You know, when you think about that is, uh, there are, there are a lot of goodbyes. And, uh, for example, at school the other day, we had an end of year celebration. And there were a lot of people that came and they were shaking hands and they were uh, saying goodbye. And some of them going off for the summer and may not see each other all summer. And then some people were leaving to move to another district or, or move to another state. And so, you know, those by, goodbyes perhaps were a little sadder. Uh, but I didn't really see anybody come to tears. Um, probably because of the excitement of getting out of school. That may have overwhelmed any of that. But this was, this was a sorrowful moment for this, this group of people. And probably for the Apostle Paul as well. And I want you to notice that there were two main reasons that they were sorrowful. One, the words that he had just spoken to them. And so we want to look at those words. What would evoke the kind of emotion that would, that would be of that strong where they would, they would be led to tears? And then the second thing is that they would see his face no more. It's obvious that they had a relationship with him. They had been through some things together. We're going to look at that briefly as well. And those are the two things that drove this, this goodbye that was, that was so emotional for everybody that was involved. Well, first of all, let's look at, the, the, at Paul's work at Ephesus. And, and let me just start out by saying that what I found the most interesting in this, in this study, in looking at Paul's work at Ephesus, those guys... And by those guys, I mean those evangelists, those people that were spreading the gospel in the first century. They had incredible courage. Incredible courage. And I know that evangelism in all times is a difficult work. And, you know, Michael's our evangelist here and he faces challenges where he spreads the gospel. Evangelism is difficult because of the very nature of it as you're asking people to change. But I think they had some unique situations that were in uh, the first century that, uh, that perhaps we don't have as much in today's world. Certainly there's challenges. But the, here's what Paul does. He comes to Ephesus. And the first thing he does, he finds a few disciples. They're described as disciples. But they hadn't been taught the baptism of Jesus. And so the first thing he does is he gets these people that have been baptized into John's baptism and he teaches them about baptism into Christ and he does that for them. 
and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we see that initially. And then the next thing you find is they go in to the synagogue. Now, those of you that don't know about synagogues, synagogues was, was a place that the Jews met. And, and they celebrated the old law and they taught the old law. Now, think about that. You're going in and you're teaching Christianity to a bunch of people that are coming together for the purpose of following the old law that weren't interested in these newfangled ideas about this Christianity thing, but they were still listening to the law of Moses. That was what that was about. So you talk about stirring the hornet's nest. that He really was. And so what he did is he worked there for three months. And he, as he got all the, the Jewish converts that he could, when it, he, he tried to connect, of course, using the law to convince them that Christ was a fulfillment of their law. But you know that that only would go so far and he couldn't convince them all. And so at some point, he made the decision, this is not productive anymore. Let's take our works to the Gentiles. And so that's what he does for a couple more years. He leaves the synagogues, he stops teaching the Jews, and he goes to this this, uh, school. And from what I can understand, as probably most of you know, uh, the Apostle Paul was a tent maker. And so it would seem that in the morning hours that the school, this school of Tyrannus would be going on and conducting its normal affairs. And then perhaps the Apostle Paul and some other members... Paul would would build his tents at that time and earn a living. And then in the afternoon, or about what I understand is about from 11 to about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, the Apostle Paul and this Christian movement, these people that that, uh, were baptized and these early disciples, they would take over this school of Tyrannus for the purpose of teaching the people. Now, there's an interesting verse that says... That, that all in Asia heard the word. So I don't want you to get the impression that they would open up and there would be two or three people come in and they would talk to them. There must have been undoubtedly hundreds and thousands over the course of these two years that heard the word and some of them converted. And because of that, the, the church there at Ephesus grew. So that was a mighty work. I just want you to look at what he did. And this is pretty standard in New Testament conversion is he comes in, he finds a few believers. Now, that's his core. He starts to work with them. He starts to develop them. He teaches them the right way. Then he moves on. He goes to the Jews. He converts as many as he can there, but he recognizes that that there's going to be a diminishing return to that. So then he goes on to the Gentiles, and he converts out of this uh, school of Tyrannus for about two more years while he resides there in Ephesus. But just like when he taught the Jews, that was if that was the stirring of the hornet's nest, this is the poking of the bear. Because he's talking and converting a lot of pagans. And pagans bought a lot of wares to celebrate their idols. And there are merchants behind the making of all of these things. Well, suddenly these guys, there's a, there's a guy there named Demetrius, and he gets these local merchants together, and he says something like, Hey, this guy Paul, he's, he's ruining our business. 
You know, their market's beginning to collapse because people aren't buying that stuff anymore. And so there's a riot that occurs there in Ephesus. The very strong uprising because of that. So again, I don't want you to get the idea that this is a small movement. This is a huge movement that had been noised throughout the whole city and really throughout all of Asia. A very big deal. So now again, think about if you're one of those converts. You've heard Paul teach for a little over two years now. And you've, you've heard those conversions. You, you, you've been part of that movement to follow Christ. You've been persuaded yourself. Well, so Paul leaves Ephesus and he goes on his journey and we get to about the area of number 7. So we're, we're now into Acts chapter 20 and he's at the, in his third missionary journey and he's there at this of Azos and Mytilene uh, or whatever, however you say that. Uh, they're working right there on the coast and he, he leaves and he comes not to Ephesus because he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem and he doesn't want to get caught up with all the stuff that's going on in Ephesus. So he actually goes past Ephesus to this area that would be eight right here. He goes to Miletus. But when he gets there, he calls the elders at Ephesus to come to him. He sends a word that, hey, can you guys come down and meet with me? And they do that. And so now we're going to look at the things that that, that he that he told them, he taught. All right, the first thing I want you to notice, this is in Acts 20 and verse number 18 through verse number 20. I want you to notice two things and I have them underlined. First of all, points out his manner of life. I want, he says, I want you to notice how I've lived. And then the next thing he says is, I've kept nothing back from you, I've proclaimed it all. What I would suggest is Paul saying that there was a congruence from what they saw in him in his life and what he was teaching. You know, the hardest thing in life is to be consistent, I think. I think that's the hardest thing in life. We all have good intentions and good motives and sometimes we follow through and sometimes we don't. Paul says, you know what I've told you you know what you've seen in me and that they support one another. So you can understand why he would be someone that they would want to listen to. They would hear him because of that. Next, he says in verse number 24, he says, well, and let's back up and look at 22. He says, he's bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He, in other words, the Spirit's telling him he needs to go to Jerusalem. There's a, there's a purpose that he needs to... To, uh, to fulfill there. But yet, he says there's change and tribulations awaiting him. But look at, look at 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life so dear that I may finish my race with joy. Have you ever been part of something that was more important to you than your own life? That's what he's saying, right? That's what he's saying. He says that this journey that I'm on, this cause that I'm a part of, is more important than all the suffering and all the trials and, and the tempt and everything that I'm going to go through doesn't matter because I've got my focus on the goal and whatever's in my way are just obstacles I'm going to plow right through 
because the cause is bigger than me. Now think about this again. This is the same guy that about ten chapters earlier, what was he doing? He was persecuting the church. He was trying to put it out. He was trying to stop this heresy. He was one of those guys who would say, I'm not listening to these newfangled ideas about Jesus. And here he is willing to die for the cause. Not only die, but suffer in death for the cause. And so he did. Now, again, you can imagine, think about the effect of emotion on people when, some, when, you're, when you're around someone that is so committed to such a thing. And so you can begin to understand why they would cry. Connecting with a cause, something that's bigger than oneself, that's what Christianity is. And then in verse number 26, he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned and declared to you the whole counsel of God. He's held nothing back. He hasn't, he hasn't hid his candlestick under a bush. He's got nothing to be ashamed of. He's, he has proclaimed it in every opportunity that he's had. You know, you think about us, and there's probably people that you can think about right now that you either work with or associate with that something's in the back of your head saying, I really ought to share Jesus with them. I really ought to share that with them. Paul didn't have that. Paul said he was innocent of the blood of all men. Because he had told them the whole counsel of God. He had, he had dedicated his life since conversion to doing that. He held nothing back. And even in the face of great tribulation, even in the face of, 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 of all the perils that he faced, he did that. And he said, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer, to shepherd the church of God which He has purchased with His own blood. It's like the shepherd that looks out over its flock and takes care of it, tries to keep it together, because you know if you get one of the sheep that begins to stray off, becomes a target, don't they? If you're not, if you're not surrounded by other Christian people, you become a target for the devil. And so a, a, a good shepherd will try to keep his flock together. And so he's challenging, the, he's challenging these, these elders. He's about to leave. He's not going to see them anymore. And he's saying, I'm leaving you these people that I've, been a, I've converted. And now it's going to be your responsibility to hold them together. To not let them to, to get apart. To shepherd over them. To watch for them. He also points out to watch for themselves because an elder is not above temptation either. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. Again, the idea of keeping the flock together. Don't let one stray off where they can be tempted. Also, so he says that there's going to be, there's going to be threats that come from external sources. And they're going to they're going to attack the church, and he also says that also from among yourselves, some of these very men that have been converts are going to try to. There's some of them that aren't fully converted, and they're going to try to turn 
And they're going to they're rise up, they're going to speak perverse things, and they're going to try to turn some of those disciples away. You watch for that. You be careful about that. So you have external threats, you have internal threats. You be aware of that. And Paul's saying is, I'm not going to be there to do it anymore. It's up to you. It's up to these elders that he spoke to. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Because he knew the danger of this threat. He knew how serious it was. So brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those that are sanctified. He reminds them of the prize. He reminds them of the goal. He puts them back in remembrance that there is a, there is a reality, there is a reward that it's not just something he was doing to do it, but rather he had his eye on a prize. And that prize was not only available to him, but any that would, that would hearken unto his words and continue in that. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus that said, It's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them. So at the end of this talk, the end of this long journey of conversion there at Ephesus, of work, of going away and then coming back for one final meeting to meet with these elders, to charge them with the duty of looking after that flock and taking care of them. He kneels and he prays with them. And then we return to the scene where we started. That now we have Paul about to, to get back on the ship, to head toward Jerusalem, because that was where he was going. And they wept freely. And they fell, uh, they fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him. And they accompanied him to the ship. A tough goodbye. Think about the time, think about the impact that you have in your life on other people. Think about uh, if you if you were to say goodbye to your church family, what what impact would there be? What would, would there would there be great sorrow? Would there be a great loss? These guys looked at Paul and they recognized that he wasn't going to be the person to rely on anymore would there be great sorrow are you having the kind of impact for the cause of Jesus certainly none of us can even I can't imagine doing as much as the apostle Paul did for the church but in our own little way are we having the kind of impact on the Lord's kingdom that God expects of us he doesn't expect you and I to be the apostle Paul if he would have if he wanted us to be the apostle Paul he would have had us born Many years ago and be a totally different circumstance. But here we are today. And what are we doing for the kingdom that Paul fought to establish, to expand, to let it continue to grow? What can we do for God's kingdom? And as elders, I, I look at this through the eyes of those elders that receive... Yancey and I think about this a lot, is the responsibility of holding a group together... Getting them to work together, getting them to fight for a cause, 
And certainly, as Paul pointed out, this cause is bigger than any of us. So the lesson is yours. Uh, We'll now offer a song of invitation. If we can help you uh, by having prayers for you, or if there's one that's been taught the gospel and, and would like to be baptized, then we would be glad to assist you at this time as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.